Welcome to the 129th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Harrison Dimchik, author of the novel, The Listeners. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Harrison Dimchik, author of the new horror novel, The Listeners. Harrison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, as we get started, can you read the first page or two of your new novel, The Listeners? Uh, Sure. Uh, Starts with a chapter called The Knock. The knock stabs at the air so hard it bleeds. Sound lingers like the endless vibration of a tuning fork, cascading from loud chime to low, insistent hum, from the plaster of the ceiling to the space between the hairs of the egg-white carpet. The woman grips the collar of her pink, stringy bathrobe as she shuffles to the door, which shakes again on the strength of three heavy raps. When she speaks, she chokes on her own words. Who's there, she says. Through the door, the response is muffled but tough. Police, a man says. Kneading her shirt between her knuckles, the woman takes a cautious step back, the heel of her tense right foot rising above the deep red stain that never would come out and says, as loudly as she can, which isn't very, I don't believe you. The door does not reply. It only stares, accusing and cruel. And then its face breaks in from the back with a horrible crunch, plaster and wood collapsing as the door propels open, its doorknob bashing into the wall like a battering ram. A bearded man charges forward through the gap, aiming a night-black pistol directly at the woman. She stumbles backwards, tripping over her own heel and falling down onto the carpet. The man who stands in front of her is not a police officer, and he has only one ear. Stay down, the man says. Stay down. Is anyone else here? The the second man, broad and black, steps through the cracked and broken door frame. He waves a similar gun around the room in a rainbow arc. He, too, has only one ear, his right, with only a flat, wide bandage where the left ear used to be. And as he aims, his alert white eyes scanning the room in a perfect sweep, a third man squeezes in behind him. Except the third man isn't a man. The third man is a boy. My my husband's a police officer, the woman says, now on her hands and feet in some sort of crab walk, scuttling away. He'll, don't, we know, says the first man. Stay down, says the second. Is Detective Joel McDonald home? The boy, small and skinny, disappears behind the second man his eyes looking down toward his shoes, gray and worn, the start of a hole by the toes of the right foot. He holds his own gun to his side, cold against his thigh, where the only person it can hurt is himself. From somewhere comes the creak of a door, descending like a nervous violin. No, no, he's, he's not here, cries the woman. Then we'll wait, says the second man. Mom? The voice is a new voice, a girl's voice, cutting through the clamor, but only for a moment. The second man, the alert man, spins around, his gun pointed in a perfect beeline through the head of the teenage girl standing just outside the apartment's stuffy little hallway. What's happening, says the girl. The boy, who wears a torn white undershirt, does not look at the girl. He looks instead into the, into the small kitchen only a couple yards away, staring as if it's some oasis in the faraway distance. A silver scrape in the white counter glows just slightly white under the hum of fluorescent lights. 
He stares at the scrape until it seems to be a living thing, wiggling and wriggling, and he squeezes his own thumb so hard his knuckle cracks. And consequently, he doesn't see the second man pointing his gun at the girl, or the girl turning toward the boy with the sad eyes of recognition. Danny, says the girl. That breaks his concentration. Now, the boy, whose name is Daniel, glances her way, but it's a half-look at best, tilting from the corners of his quickly blinking eyes. His breath catches halfway through the exhale, like a thin shirt on a sharp twig. And when he pulls it free, it tears a little, just a little. Hi, Katie, he says. Great. Well, if the if the people listening to this podcast aren't familiar with your new novel, The Listeners, how would you describe the novel? Oh, the Listeners is a coming-of-age story in a horror-thriller context. In a borough quarantine due to an airborne illness that causes deformity, insanity, and death, a 14-year-old boy named Daniel, orphaned by the plague, is caught up with a one-eared gang-slash-cult called The Listeners. But all he really wants is to find his best friend, Katie, trapped elsewhere in the quarantine. Great. Well, do, do you remember what gave you the original idea or inspiration for the novel? Well, um, The Listeners was originally a series of short stories developed, um, developed during, my, during the summer before my senior semester of college in, um, in preparation for an independent study. Um, and, and essentially, I, 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 because, it was a because it was a collection of short stories, I was looking for a scenario that would um, allow for these different stories to exist and to coexist and to, um, and to join one from the other. And, and, and the quarantine scenario is what, is what came to mind. Uh, and the characters emerged from that. And ultimately, after a lot of development in a lot of different ways, Daniel took the lead role. Um, but, um, as far as the, the listeners themselves, um, the, you know, the one ear cult that's, you know, lends its name to the book that's, that I believe came, that came from an article I read. I don't remember the context for the article. I don't remember what it was specifically about, but, um, it referred to, it had something to do with the removal, the voluntary removal of a body part. And I started to think about that in terms of um, in terms of religion and cults and um, how and the symbolism involved in the ear and that's and to, to refer to the symbolism sounds like kind of a writer's cop out answer but um but religion is fundamentally about symbolism um, and and the idea of a of a group marked by the removal of an ear um, became very compelling to me and they came very quickly to populate this world that was developing. Interesting. So uh, I, I know that horror movies remain popular at the box office, but horror novels seem to kind of wax and wane in terms of popularity with readers. What what, what appeals to you about the horror genre and, and writing, you know, horror short stories and fiction? Well, I, I think um, I think any genre tends to wax and wane a little bit um, because there are always there are always trends. There are always things that are more popular now than they were before and and vice versa. As far as um, horror in particular, the, the odd thing is that I don't really come from a background of, of reading a lot of horror. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking of this as a horror novel as I wrote it. It's only um, after I had done so that, um, 
that that came to be the obvious classification. I mean, and it is obvious. It's clearly what it is, but it's not what I was particularly thinking or focused on. But I've come to read horror a lot more now and recently um, as as the novel approached publication and now after it's been published. And um, and it, the fundamental appeal of, of horror is, well, well d- done right, it's it's... it's compelling storytelling as any great story would 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 be it puts its protagonist in particularly dire circumstances has a ton of conflict has all of those things working for it um but also also the also the tension inevitable in being in being scared and being terrified um i think it's where a lot of the appeal comes comes from and even if it and even if it's um level of popularity may come and go it's been a remarkably enduring genre overall for I think for I think that reason is there's always something scary out there and uh, horror um, speaks to that most um, most primal elements you know the the fight or flight instinct sure have you always wanted to be a writer when, when did you first start writing um, well I, I first start I actually I still have, or my parents still have, um, the first story I ever wrote from kindergarten. Um, uh, it's, um, it's illustrated. It's about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and I've been writing at least since then. And I've, it's always been something I have loved. It's always been something I gravitated toward. It's not something I realized I could do for a living until I was in eighth grade. It just hadn't clicked for me until then that they were actual people who made their actual living writing stories, which was already something I absolutely loved to do. And what made it click for me then was actually the letters page of a Spider-Man comic, um, <laughs> in, which, um, in which a reader said something to the effect of, um, you always know, uh, when J.M. Demanis is in the credits, and that was the writer of, the, of this issue, um, um, you, know it's a, you know it's a great it's going to be a great story, something like that. And, um, and that's what made me realize there are actual people doing this. And since then I've wanted to be a writer professionally. And at first it was comic book writing and, you know, I'd still like to do that, but, um, it evolved over time into, into screenwriting and, and now the novel. And, and I know that you, you, as you just mentioned, that you've written screenplays as well as novels and short stories. What what, what appeals to you about writing screenplays versus a short story or novel? Oh, I I absolutely love the screenplay format. Um, this the screenplay format is such a distinctive blend of um of creativity and logic because it's such a it's a particularly strict format to those who don't um who don't um, know it terribly terribly well um just a brief run through your typical screenplay is 120 pages um it has three acts the first act and around ends around page 30 the second act ends around page 90 has a midpoint in page 60 page 90 is the hero's lowest moment um leading to the climax and ending around page 120 um uh, one page is about one minute of screen time um and if that seems very very strict and overly structured it can be um but part of the um, challenge of writing a screenplay is writing a story that that um, does not feel that way for that that you know 
hits those points because it because that format does work. It's is a it is a great structure for telling a great story. Um, hits those points though without feeling like it is, without feeling robotic, and that's that's the great challenge. And um, and um, yeah, the structure is almost like a skeleton, and we all have the same skeleton, but we're all very different on the outside. And that's how screenwriting works. I've really gravitated toward the format ever since I started doing it because I, because I am the same strange combination of creative and logical. Um, and, 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 and working, working a story, working a great story into that particular context to figure out the best way to tell it and show it, show it especially because it's such a visual medium. Um, holds particular appeal to me um it, it it remains it remains my favorite formats and i would and i always wish i could devote more time to it and, and was it was it uh was it hard for you initially to get used to kind of the the strict format as you mentioned the you know page 30 and 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 the other points of the of the format um it's, of course it's a challenge at first and they the general rule of thumb is that you need to write seven to ten ten screenplays before you get good at it and really figure out the language of it, and it's probably true, you know, true for you know any genre as well. But it's certainly true of screenplays. It was certainly true for for me. And the early screenplays had a lot wrong with them. I would these are documents that I would um, never show to anybody. In fact, I, <laughs> I, I I may have already trashed them in some form so nobody can ever see them, just to protect myself. Um, yeah, but, but, um, I, I am somebody who, um, gravitates toward structure. It's, uh, it's part of what makes me a good editor. Um, so I, so I took to it and at this point it's, um, it's second nature, still a challenge, still a huge challenge to, to write a screenplay that works in a long process, but, uh, but something I really truly understand. And the structure, the structure can be, can be incredibly useful as, as well, because it's, it was actually adapting those short stories, um, the original short stories that would eventually form listeners, actually adapting that into a screenplay first and making the screenplay the primary thing for a while. That gave me this narrative structure that allowed me to adapt the screenplay into the novel to listeners. Interesting. Well, well, I know that you, I know that you did a creative writing program, if I'm not mistaken, from reading your bio. Um, in college, what what was that experience like for you? Well, I was uh, it was an English major with a creative writing concentration at at Oberlin, and um, the experience, to be honest, was a bit a bit mixed. It, um, I had I had some conflicts with the creative writing department that I um, I don't want to go into too much depth on because you know it's it's a long time ago at this point, sure. um, but. Um, but the classes I was at, but when I was able to take the classes, they were incredibly useful, incredibly helpful, as, as any workshop environment is inevitably going to be, um, because you gain so much from hearing the feedback of others and, and also from learning to critique the work of others. It was um, formative not only as far as developing my own writing, but um, as far as developing my, my skills as an editor, which has you know, been my professional life since graduating. Interesting. And as you as you write your your writing process, do you find that you're uh, that you're more of an organic writer, or do you outline extensively before you start working on a, a screenplay or a novel or a short story? 
I don't outline a short story, um, but I do outline the others. And I've done so more and more um, over the over, um, since I began screenwriting. Um, it became very important for the screenplays because because of what the structure is and um, and breaking it down in advance and having this idea of um, of when everything will happen was was except extremely useful. Now, inevitably, you don't stick to the outline. Things change. Things always do. There, you encounter problems. You did not think you're going to be there. Um, the outline is never set in stone, but I found it very, very helpful. And, I, and at this point, um, I, I would certainly, I would certainly outline novels as well as screenplays. Anything that's going to be in the longer form, um, because because structure is. Uh, really a crucial part of, of storytelling. Um, I, you know, I got sort of give an example of, of how structure can make a difference in the, when I was giving the, the, the synopsis of, of listeners before, um, I said, what well, Daniel wants most is to find his best friend, Katie. I also read the first chapter in which he clearly does find Katie. Um, that was not the case in the screenplay. It was not the case in the first drafts of the novel. Um, in both forms, um, he didn't find Katie until it's, you know, proper chronological place in the story. Um, that, that change to this, um, to this framing device and later draft of the novel, um, because I felt it would be, it would be more, I felt that structure would be more effective in telling the story, hooking the reader early and, um, and raising the question instead of, will he, um, making making instead of that um what leads to it um and what happens after right and and um of course it maybe that was the right call maybe it wasn't but that's but that but structure makes can is a huge factor in, in how a story is experienced and out outlining helps a great deal with that right what what books or authors do you read that that kind of inspire your fiction or 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 um, uh, that you particularly enjoy as a reader? Um, well, there again, we come to the uh, to the oddity that I, that I have that I was not reading a great deal of horror fiction before I started um, the novel, and I have and I generally haven't growing up. So my favorite authors aren't are the kind of authors you'd expect to lead into a novel of this particular nature. Um, I, I love Salman Rushdie, um, Kurt Vonnegut, um, George Saunders, Douglas Adams, my favorite, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that could not possibly be further removed from the listeners, obviously. Um, I read, a, I continue to read a, a good deal of Spider-Man comics. My favorite comic writer is John Mark Dematis, the same one who was praised in that particular letters page all those years ago. Um, and those are certainly the, the fundament, fundamental influences, not in terms of genre, but, um, but in terms of, of making me want to write and developing my, my writing in various directions. Sure. So, so I, I, you, you've had the success of getting the listeners published and you referenced earlier that you've been working for many years as an editor, given, given that what, what advice would you have for someone who's listening, who is an aspiring writer and would like to have their own fiction published? First and foremost, have it edited. Um, be, you know, 
many of the many public. I mean, of course, at this point, you don't need to go through traditional publishing. You can self-publish. It's increasingly popular, and it's a perfectly valid way to go about it. But even there, you want to make sure that that your work rises up again, rise up above the um, the million books that are published every year in one form or another. And if you're going traditional publishing, you want to make sure that yours rises above all the manuscripts, manuscripts any any editor is going to be reading. Some publishers will help you develop your work. Um, I've always been in a position to be able to help with that, but a lot won't. And you want, you want to make sure that what you're putting forward is the, is the best manuscript you can possibly you possibly present. And the difference between a writer or an author, that's what I've always told the authors I've worked with, um, the difference is editing. An author edits. An author takes that time to, um, to improve their manuscript and to, and to work with, with a professional to determine exactly what's working, what's not working, and, and why it's not working and how it can be fixed. And if, as long, if it, taking, taking that time is absolutely the best shot anybody has to get published or if they self-publish to get noticed. Sure. sure. What, what, what are you working on now? I'm working on a number of different things right now. There's a, there's a, there's a short story. Um, I'm working on a screenplay, a cryptozoological dramedy, um, which is which is something I've been working on for a while and, and I really want to finish and have out there. Um, I'm working on a, on a musical, a zombie musical. Um, and various other songs. And I, I keep bouncing between all of these different things and sooner or later something will take over and I'll, and that will be the one that gets finished. But in the meantime, just I'm, I'm working wherever I feel inclined to work at this particular time. Gotcha. And where can people find you online? Um, I am online at, uh, at www.harrisondemchick.com or for facebook.com backslash harrisondemchick. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Harrison Dimchik, author of The Listeners, which is available now. Harrison, thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.